we find a stunning brightness, a stunning expression of hope and comfort. And so would you join me in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'll read verses 1 to 14 for us. Jeremiah 31 verses 1 to 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you, and I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and you shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind, And the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return here. With weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water. In a a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of my of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what beautiful words we have just read. As many times as we have read in Jeremiah and been overwhelmed by anger and sadness, this text is almost too much with celebration and joy. Would you help us to know 
how these words are for us. Would you help us to know that this is your voice speaking about us? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us enlightenment? Would you open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to receive this message and to be changed by it? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Journal of Consumer Research recently released uh, the, the results of six different studies on human measurement, on personal quantification. So technologies like Fitbit, the ability to measure our activities, how does that ability, how do those technologies affect us? And a consistent conclusion across those six studies was this. Measurement often increases our activity. It can serve to increase good activities like exercise, like reading books. But at the same time, measurement also decreases our ability to enjoy those activities. So we do more but enjoy less. And I think that captures our confusion about happiness. There is an entire research field devoted to that topic. Think tanks and websites and books devoted to studying what makes human beings happy. But with all of that research, the actual experience still eludes us so often, doesn't it? We have more. We do more. But so often, we enjoy less. We fail to live a life that is full of delight. Even with all of the ease and comfort and abundance That is around us. So maybe we need a different perspective. Maybe we need an older perspective. Maybe we need the ancient words of Jeremiah here in chapter 31. Which paint a gorgeous picture of happiness. This text is full of words like gladness. Merry making. Satisfaction, joy, there is singing and dancing. And I love the image in verse 4. God imagines His people as a bride walking down the aisle on her wedding day. And He says to His people, I will dress you, I will adorn you in tambourines. You will be so joyful that you will wear celebratory percussion." That's how happy you will be. And that makes me wonder. That makes me question. How is that possible? How is this bliss possible? Where does this kind of deep and lasting joy come from? 
And I want you to join me in those questions, and I want us to come together to this text and ask those questions of this passage. And we will look here and we will find that true joy comes from two experiences. It comes from getting lost and from getting found. First of all, joy comes from getting lost. We're still reading Jeremiah, y'all. And from all that we have come to know of Jeremiah, it is not surprising that this text isn't all warm fuzzies. It's not all euphoria. Think about this. Who in this text, in this passage, who are the happy ones? They are the ones who are also sad. They are the ones who mourn. They are the ones who weep. And why do they weep? They weep because they're lost. They weep because they are in exile. Remember the basic message here in this book. God's people, because they have lived in persistent idolatry and injustice, are losing their home with God. And so they here grieve the loss of that intimacy, that security, and that safety. The songs of chapter 31 come after chapters 7 and chapter 16, where God's judgment silences the voice of gladness. And so here, even in this happy chapter, the people weep because they're lost, because they are in exile. But the key to their sorrow is that it is sorrow towards God. It has become not the sorrow of complaining, it has become the sorrow of repentance. They have awakened to their lostness and to their exile, but not only that, they have awakened to the cause of their lostness, namely their own sin. And so verse 9, They come weeping, pleading for mercy. Those are the happy ones. Those are the ones who dance and sing. The ones who weep and plead for mercy. The ones who repent. We need to recognize that this particular historical experience of exile is part of a larger story, is part of the larger story, a larger pattern of exile. Jeremiah in chapter 2 connects their experience to the experience of Israel wandering in the wilderness, lost in the desert between Egypt and the promised land for 40 years because of their sin. And that wandering, it goes even further back. It goes back to Adam and Eve walking due east out of the Garden of Eden because of their rebellion, because of their rejection of God, because of their sin. And that heritage of homelessness, it's our heritage. Because of the reality of sin, we all, in a sense... Live in exile, alienated from God, lost. 
We all, in a sense, live in that exile. We live lost, far from God, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We sang earlier. Just like these people, we are far from God because of sin. Just like these people, apart from His intervention, apart from His transformation, we are alienated from Him. And we live with a deep and a profound loneliness. And to know true joy, we have to know our lostness. And we have to know the cause of our lostness. We must come to see and own our participation in what sin has caused in our lives and in this world. We must be the ones who repent. We must be the ones who weep and plead for mercy. Silence and stillness are necessary for singing and dancing. The sorrow of repentance is essential for true celebration. We must come to know our lostness. But that's hard for us. That's hard for us because we don't like to admit that we are in that much need, that we are in that much desperation. We do not like to admit that we are in that much wrong. It's also hard for us because we live in a culture that promotes numbing over grieving. So much of our fun isn't true celebration, it's distraction. So much of our fun is the attempt to escape the feeling of our lostness, the feeling of our alienation, the feeling of our loneliness. See, we want Mardi Gras without Lent. Not the ritual strict observance of Lent, but the heart of Lent, the heart of repentance. And so we live lives of excess, but not satisfaction. We have an excess of entertainment, of experiences, of substances, but they are just distractions. And so they leave us empty, and we never make our way to the joy of Easter. Because we want Mardi Gras without Lent. You see, silence is necessary for song. Stillness is necessary for dancing. The capacity for sorrow. The sorrow over our own sin. The sorrow over how sin has wrecked this world. The capacity for that sorrow is the beginning of the capacity for joy. 
There isn't the celebration of Easter without the repentance of Lent. Can you be still enough to know your own lostness? Can you be quiet enough to know how desperately far away you are from God? But I thought this was a sermon about happiness. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is. It is a sermon about happiness because the capacity for sorrow is only the beginning. Joy comes, yes, from getting lost, but also from getting found. There's something else that we need to notice about the happy people in Jeremiah 31. They're traveling. They're on a trip. They're on the move. And in which direction are they going? Where are they headed on this trip? They're going to Zion. They're going to the city of Jerusalem. Now recall once again Jeremiah's message. It is that this city, which was supposed to be indestructible, would be destroyed by the judgment of God. So what happens now in Jeremiah 31? That trauma is reversed. The tragedy is overturned. Jerusalem is rebuilt. The people of God are rebuilt. And they are returning, singing and dancing on their way back home. You see, true happiness is homecoming. True joy is a return. A return ultimately not to a physical location, but to what that physical location represented. God dwelling with His people. His presence in their midst as the source of their life. As the source of their (coughs) abundance. Jerusalem was an abundant city because God was uniquely there with His people. His presence is the water... Of the people who will become a well-watered garden. That's why they're happy. They're returning not just to a place, but to a relationship. They return singing and dancing to a relationship with God like that. Jeremiah goes on to call this promise work of God a new covenant. A new relationship. And how does it happen? How does this return happen? How does this homecoming occur? Do they plot a dramatic escape from Babylonian captivity? No. Do they attempt an assassination on the tyrant Nebuchadnezzar? How does this return happen? Well, there is a vital connection between two phrases in this text. Between they shall and I will. See, the happiness here is it's all the they shalls. They shall dance. They shall sing. They shall be satisfied. And how does that happen? 
I will. I will find them. I will bring them back. I will return them. I will rebuild them. I will lead them by the brooks of water. I will comfort them. I will feast their souls with abundance. How does homecoming happen? God does it. God does it. And as I mentioned, this promised work of God, Jeremiah goes on to call a new covenant. Remember, the people had broken the old one. They had broken their vows again and again and again. They had used God and not loved Him, and so He had ended it with them. But what didn't end? That old covenant was broken, but what wasn't broken? What did it end? Verse 3. His love. His everlasting, never-ending love. As one author says in the book of Jeremiah, God is angry and He's grieving, but He will not let go. And that tenacious love produces this renewed relationship where God reasserts Himself as father and husband. He promises to restore a people who will enjoy the security of being His children and who will enjoy the intimacy of being His wife. That's true happiness. That is true joy. And that is the possibility of true happiness for us. It is that kind of homecoming, being restored to God in that way. But how can I say us? Where does that us come from? Weren't these promises made so long ago to a particular ethnic group of people? How can I say us? Well, what's today? What's today? It's Palm Sunday, right? What happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus took a trip, right? And where did he go? He went to Jerusalem. He rode into Jerusalem. He rode into this city which represented the hope, the possibility of peace and wholeness and restoration to a home with God. And as he rode that donkey into that city, what happened? Singing. And dancing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when the religious police pulled up and tried to shut down the party, Jesus says, no, 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 I cannot silence them. I cannot silence them. And if I try, the stones will cry out in celebration of the coming King. That's how I can say us. This irrepressible joy is possible. Not only because Jesus went into Jerusalem, but because of what He did there. The night before He died, anticipating His cross, He held up the cup. And He said, what? This is the new covenant in my That's how I can say us. Jesus is our homecoming. 
He is our return. He is a homecoming for all nations. All of those who believe in Him can be returned and restored to God in this way. As Jesus died on the cross, God was finding us. As He rose from the grave, God was restoring us, returning us to Himself. And so He interrupts the silence of our sin with the song of His forgiveness. He moves our motionless feet. Hear me, my fellow straight-laced Presbyterians, He moves our motionless feet with the celebration of a new life through Jesus. That's how I can say us. Because of the work that Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. Because as He rode into Jerusalem, the hope of peace with God, we by faith ride with Him. So listen, you can't Fitbit your way towards happiness. You can't measure your way to joy. Because true and lasting joy isn't a measurable wage. It is an immeasurable gift. You have to receive it. You can't earn it. You have to receive it. In the immortal words of, that, of the movie Unforgiven, although it's a, completely reversal, it's a complete reversal of that movie, when it comes to joy, deserves got nothing to do with it. True joy comes not from us finding, it comes from us getting found. That's not the most eloquent English, but is the most beautiful gospel truth. Happiness isn't us finding more experience, more wealth, more accomplishments. It is us getting found by that king who rode into Jerusalem to give his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to a home with God. Happiness isn't you finding It is you getting found. And so this week, will you listen? Will you hear God's I will resounding from the cross, from the empty tomb? I will find you. I will return you. I will restore you. I will guide you. I will comfort you. I will feed. I will feast your soul on abundance. And will you let his I will produce your they shall. Produce in you singing. And yes, even dancing. Will you open your life? Yes, with repentance but also with faith to receive God's work as He, through the gift of His Son and Spirit, 
adorns you with tambourines. Let's pray.